Hello and welcome to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today. Your co-hosts, Valian Likely and Catherine Lotzbeach. Hello listeners and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where we have hit episode 11. We're excited for you to be back with us. Um, before we get before we dive into this week's topic, I'd like to give you a little bit of an update on our last week's guests. Last week we interviewed Cassie Shoemaker and Colin Oshner from the Platte Valley FFA in Colorado. Uh, they were competing at the National FFA Convention, and um, I'm very excited to report that Colin was a bronze um, competitor in the Creed Speaking Contest. He did very well and represented his chapter uh extremely well and um, everyone here at home is very proud of him and Cassie Shoemaker who competed in the extemporaneous speaking contest was fifth in the nation she did incredibly well she rocked her contest and uh, we couldn't be prouder of her how many um, contestants was she competing against at nationals Cassie competed against 46 other contestants I believe Wow, that's super impressive. Yeah, she did really, really well. So um, an incredible, incredible accomplishment for the both of them, and we extend our congratulations to them. It's so exciting to see them do well and been able to engage them last week. Exactly. Really enjoyed that conversation, and listeners, if you missed it, um, go back to your favorite podcast platform and listen to episode 10. Yes. Well, anyway, diving into this week, um, did you by chance see that tweet from... Tommy Laren? I did after you sent it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why don't you give us a little bit of background, Val? So Tommy, um, she's a little bit of a political guru. A lot of bit. (laughs) Or a lot of bit of a political guru. And she's a millennial from South Dakota who claims that she came from a ranching family um, and really takes some harsh stances on some things. recently been hired i believe by fox news to kind of give updates and get people's wheels turning and flames going and maybe get the millennial perspective like we're trying to do yeah most definitely but she posted something about ranching it was been a while ago originally um but it was about how ranchers are being ran out of business by the government and by all the imports that are coming in and went off on a big old rampage about it. Um, and if, you, if for the listeners that haven't seen it, I, I would recommend going and finding that. Um, I'm sure it can be on YouTube or even Fox News. Yeah, I think I just Googled uh, Tommy Laren and ranchers. I think you can find all of the, all the clips there. It's good background. Yeah, but most recently she posted something, I think it was on the 4th of November, Monday or something, about um, how only one of our senators has stepped up in supporting our farmers and ranchers and where's the rest of the senators and congressmen and what are they doing and we need to um, start supporting MCOOL. All right, so tell us what MCOOL is for, for some of us who aren't familiar. So besides just a, I'm cool, um, <laughs> it stands for Mandatory Country of Origin Labeling. Okay, and do you have do you have more background on that for us too? Yeah, so MCOOL is, is a program that they have been, they actually implemented in 2002, which is, it ends up labeling, a, or yeah, labeling the country of origin on pretty much all meat products and a lot of the fruits, veggies, and nuts too that are coming in. 
And over the years, it has um, not really effectively worked and has been taken out of mandatory and just allowed the free market to kind of label as they want to. But there's a, there's a few people out there and some passionate people um, like Tommy that think we should be labeling everything coming in and out of the country with country of origin label and make it mandatory from a government standpoint. That's an interesting, um, an interesting stake or an interesting take from, you know, someone who seems to be a conservative commentator to mandate regulation. Um, but so country of origin labeling, I'm familiar with, you know, from 10 or 12 years ago when it was first being implemented in the U.S. But my understanding was that, um, as you said, it basically didn't work out. It was very costly and it it didn't um, accomplish the goals that it set out to do, which was to get consumers to to pay more attention to, well, to labels and, and buy American, essentially. But it didn't really work out that way? No. So it, um, what they found is that consumers didn't really want the, the labeling, and they ended up still going with the cheapest option available. So consumers weren't willing to pay for that, just for that label. Yeah, and, and to re-implement it, it's, it would cost... If they were to re-implement it today, it would cost over $2.6 billion. That's billion, not million, billion dollars. That would be the cost to the industry, to the agricultural industry. Correct. That's what it would take to hire staff to monitor it. Put those programs into place to make sure that all the food going into the supermarkets is labeled the way it should be. And grocery store costs and import costs and taxations and all of, all of the implications. and. And the consumer has been shown, I mean, we've got studies in front of us and, and some articles that show that consumers just aren't willing to pay for that, for that mandatory labeling. Correct. Yes. So this is, it's an interesting conversation. It's been one ongoing that you and I have had since, you know, since we've known each other, mm-hmm. essentially. And um, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's sort of a throwing a really simple solution at a very complicated problem. Um, you know, leaving aside the cost to the consumer, um, or the additional costs that the program would, would cost implement, implement, which, which would be passed on to the consumer. Um, what about, I mean, what about just thinking about this from a, a capitalism and free trade perspective? I think it takes out the ability to let the free market operate because Instead of giving consumers the option, which they have now, to, okay, I can, I can choose the cheapest meat option at the, at the grocery store, or I can choose to support the niche marketing, the natural organic. I can choose to buy beef or meat of any source directly from the source or I can go to Whole Foods and get the desert mountain grass-fed beef that I know is raised in Idaho or Colorado craft beef that's raised by Kara Smith who was on the podcast a few weeks ago like I can I can still have that option to buy beef where I know it comes from or I can go to the grocery store I need a pot roast I'm gonna throw it in my crock pot I'm gonna spend a little bit of less money on that rather than buying the high premium for that Sure. So, I mean, what you're saying is you're going to vote with your dollars. Um, and, I mean, you sound like a fairly enlightened consumer when it comes to <laughs> your, <laughs> your meat consumption. Um, and and you know what you're looking for. And um, so, 
I mean, the the consequences of implementing a, a program like this are, I mean, they've been shown in in the previous implementation to to be costly and and to not um, just to not accomplish what what the intention was. So, why do you think that that a program that has been shown not to work. Why? Why do you think that there's some some ranchers out there, um, some commentators out there pushing for for mandatory labeling? I think they have the perception that the import market is driving, is being a huge competitor and driving out their ability to produce a product, and that consumers, if they n- knew what they were buying, would always go to the American beef. But I, or, or American meat in general, or fruits and veggies based off of everything that MCool would um, totally encompass. Do you, so I know that we've, we've talked before on the podcast about how emotions drive decisions, but I'm curious about the numbers behind meat imports, exports, and what our, our annual production is. Yeah, no, I, I, pulling up numbers today, it was actually kind of fascinating because our imports of meat are about just over 4 billion pounds a year. Um, And that's where they're projecting 2019 to be. And exports are actually over 17 billion pounds. So we're importing quite a bit of meat, 4 billion's nothing to to bat an eye at, but we're exporting 17 billion. That's more than four times Mm -hmm. as much as as what we import. And I think this is an important point too. You and I had talked about it before we started, but what what a lot what are a lot of those exports i mean we're not necessarily selling or we're not necessarily sending you know um our our grade a prime steaks across borders what what are the other products that we're sending across we might be sending a few of those prime steaks across to some of the um up and coming countries especially japan but a lot of the countries are actually taking the parts of beef or cow or lamb or pork that you and I probably don't even see in the grocery store here. The tongues, the hearts, the livers, the kidneys, the things that we kind of, our stomach churns just hearing about some of that, but they have their cultural dynamics. They know how to cook that stuff really well and it tastes amazing over there and they want that delicacy. Right, and to us, it's just um, it, it's just cast-offs. It's not something that, that in our cult, in our society that we would utilize so so we're we're ensuring that um, every part of an animal is used even if it's going um, outside of our country absolutely and I think um, you know you might be asking why are we even talking about exports this is an import thing that we're going to be labeling and with country of origin labeling comes um, some infringement on some of the trade agreements we have and if we're not um if we're compromising and saying no to imports we're also risking the export market as well absolutely i think that's a fantastic point to bring up because i mean if if anything you know in the last few years since um since we've had our new administration we have we we have definitely been engaged in trade wars on on several different levels and in in, in many different industries, and um, it has had you know a, a negative impact on on American agriculture. And uh, we're not not denying that you know things need to be shook up sometimes. And and uh, 
and you know agreements reworked and everything like that but i mean if we stopped allowing imports or yeah if we stopped allowing imports of of other countries meat products um they could very easily uh retaliate against the united states and and cause our export market to really to really be negatively impacted and i mean keeping in mind here that we we import 4.3 billion pounds of meat a year but we export 17.4 billion and that i mean it could it could cause us a lot more harm on the export side if we did decide to to mandatory label um meat absolutely and that i've heard that that export number is rising and there are people in the united states working diligently day in and day out to increase that number and expand the market that we're allowed to send our american meat products to which is i mean you know i'm totally biased but i mean america we do have an incredibly um efficient and safe food system and i mean other other countries want that and so we're we're providing that need and i mean to that point do you know what what america's total meat production has been or is projected to be i mean what i'm curious what percent we're exporting yeah so about they're saying about 103 billion pounds of meat is what we produce every year is what we produce every year and we're exporting 17.4 billion pounds and there's so that's just under 20 percent is going out out of country um but our consumption is is around 72 billion pounds a year so we've got almost 30 billion pounds of meat that needs to go somewhere i was gonna say the obvious next question is i mean we're clearly producing more than we can eat in our country because i mean that is one of the things that make american makes american agriculture great um is that we're able to produce more than we need to feed ourselves and we have we have mandatory labeling requirements um what I mean, are we just supposed to sit on that? Beef doesn't really keep all that well. Not like, you know, not like uh, powdered milk or, or grain or anything like that. I mean, you, it needs to be, it needs to be moved and consumed. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would be curious to ask anybody who is a proponent of this, what we're supposed to do with that extra production. I mean, that you sit on that and it's going to cause some serious heartache in the heartland. Oh, absolutely. And you can't, yeah, you can't just have a cellar for grain. If, if we're going to be storing beef, which we can a little bit, you've got to have cooler space and freezer space mm-hmm. and shelf space. And that takes money. Right. <laughs> yeah. And who is that cost going to be passed on to? Consumers. So you, the con- and then the consumer is going to quit buying our product or go find a cheaper alternative or go find plant-based protein if they can find it cheaper. I, yeah, I mean, I think that cost honestly really does matter to American consumers. And just like you said, if 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 there's a, an alternative out there that provides, you know, some sort of a similar nutritional profile and it's cheaper, I mean, the price of beef is going to go down, and we're going to be sitting on a lot of inventory. And it, and then we're then we're going to have ranchers out of business. We're going to have feedlots out of business. We're going to have packers out of business. It's going to end up affecting the dairy industry to some effect absolutely. too. Absolutely, absolutely. Just like we talked about in our first episode, where, I mean, you know, the 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 dairy buyout in the '80s seriously affected the beef market. I mean, what goes up must come down. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, and so the consequences of of implementing mandatory labeling um, are, I mean, they're pretty clear to you and I. 
It is very clear to you and I. We're sitting here with papers all spread around this conference table as we're recording and we spent our lunch hour reviewing these facts and figures and making sure we kind of knew what we were talking about and our and talked with our parents who went through 2002 when they first implemented and we did our research we did um i mean here's here's a serious question though does that matter i don't know is somebody gonna are you listeners listening to this podcast gonna understand what we're talking about and get behind and go yeah this totally makes sense we understand the reasonable approach we understand the facts and figures or is somebody standing up and putting emotion behind something and jumping on this is scary this could be a detriment to our industry using inflammatory speech and you know saying catastrophic phrases like farmers and ranchers are going out of business and if we don't implement this right now um you know, is that is that a is that more effective? Is that does that capture your attention more? And I I think it captures my attention more. But I've been at least in in the agricultural realm my entire life to to know what to question and know where to to find my facts and who to trust. But I look at different markets that I you know, I follow or the the health and fitness or some of the other fruits and veggies or the natural, the corn syrup, the, the scary things. And sometimes the emotions and the the music and everything draws you right in to think that this is how everybody's thinking. This is where everybody's at. Exactly. And it's not reality. And so, but you and I, I mean, we've seen the reaction on social media. We've seen, you know, all of the, all of the the video clips and you know everything that gets has been pushed out because of this emotional rampage and i mean if action were to be taken on on mcool based on on just just what has been put out there by by the people you know who are really behind it and supporting it and and people like tommy laren i mean the the consequences could be dire and so where where do we find that happy medium of communicating with people on an emotional level but also making sure that our facts are intertwined that's a great question and it's funny to think because i think how old did you say tommy tommy was she's 27 i had no idea she's younger than i am (laughs) i i mean and she i you know to look at her she maybe i just don't think of myself (laughs) you know as as grown up enough to be on tv or whatever it is but um, you know, to, to hear her talk and, and everything, I wouldn't have guessed that she was a millennial. No, and she, she carries herself really well. She's confident when she speaks. She looks at you in the eye, and she she has an agenda she wants to share. And she comes across like she's done her research and knows the whole story and knows the implications of all the things she's spouting. But, but I you and I sat here and went through went through reams of research, like you said, talked to talk to people that we trust who have been there, dealt with cool before. And I mean it's it's scary scary to think about, you know, that the action could be taken, especially by, you know, people outside of the agricultural population who have no idea what's going on and will go just based on on, you know, one rant. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's it's i'm thankful that only one congressman got behind this last one um but when our congressmen and senators and 
on any level start reacting on some of these emotions and some of these and don't weigh the facts and don't sit down and have conversations with multiple people in the meat industry multiple people in the fruit nut industry and just go off of emotion and i'm saving the farmers and ranchers and i'm doing this we could be in trouble we could be because it's yeah because it's something that could could actually be detrimental so so listeners we're coming back to you with a question because you know starting millennial ag one of our one of our goals was to to be able to passionately tell our story um and and be able to tell it you know tell tell the truth um with our facts and figures and data and i mean quite honestly we don't know how to do that when we come up against an issue like this because you know we don't have the reach of fox news or 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 anything like that and um you know, we'd like to hear from you about what your ideas and thoughts are on how how we can protect our industry, make sure that that the truth is out there, and and still um, collaborate and and be effective communicators. And all work together on being passionate and and driven and catchy with our audience, but but also making sure that it's facts and that we can sit down and have a grown up discussion about the issue and and listen to both sides listen to all viewpoints so we're we want to hear from you so thank you for tuning in this week to our episode we are super excited or maybe i'm just excited but um (laughs) i will be headed back to idaho next week and i will be attending the idaho cattle association convention and i'm really excited to um, have Amanda Radke join us next week. So be sure to tune in next week to see Miss Amanda and we will dive into her approach to Ellen DeGeneres. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Feel free to reach out to us, provide feedback, and submit your questions. Our email address is katherine at millennialag.com. That is Catherine with a K, A-T-H, a-R-I-N-E. And please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, rate us on your favorite podcast platform.